Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Well, I, oh, okay. Uh, maybe we might have to call her. What do you think? 
I, I'm going to bring her in on my line. How about that? I'll bring her. She's calling right now. I'll bring her in. Yeah, let's, let's do that, sir. Okay, okay. Okay, girl, she's with us. <laughs> hello. Well, hello, Miss K- Miss Jackson. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm okay. I just want you to know that you're on live with our audience around the world, and um, we're re- ready to go now, Miss Jackson. Everyone, I want you to know this is Kimberly Jackson. Okay, and she is a flautist, a vocalist, a composer, a DJ, a producer, and a music educator. And we're going to go in all those areas with her today. Kimberly, I must ask Yay. of you, though, we don't, we don't want you to give yes. out all the goodies too soon, okay? So we ask that you tailor your answers <laughs> to the questions so that you, don't give, you don't give out all the good stuff. Is that okay? That's fine. Good, because, you know, we, we want to get as much of you That's as fine. we can. And and with all of these things okay. that you do, you know, we got to get it in, okay? So, okay. Kimberly, you know, um, we're going we're gonna to get right into it with you. Now, you it, it's very rare to have all of this in one person, okay? So that means your creativity is on a level that is just completely amazing, okay? And with that said, we like to. We want to go a little bit back to the beginning, okay? When you were just a little girl, okay, okay growing growing up in Los mm-hmm. Angeles, okay, and you started mm-hmm. your classical training at twelve, okay. Before you even hit twelve, it seems like you already knew what you wanted to do. I mean, was this something that was like was music just there for you? When did you know personally that you wanted to go into music? Well, I started, I really started playing music formally at five. And I started on the clarinet. Okay, but before the clarinet, um, I was just over home in my mama's house, uh, pulling the pots and pans out from her cupboard and beating on those like a drum and trying to, she she used to watch, um, my mother liked classical music, so she used to watch symphony orchestras programs on TV, and I would try to, you know, imitate the conductor when I was a little bitty, little, little bitty. So my mother even said that, you know, I was trying to do music when I was in my diapers. So I think it's, I think I came out of the womb knowing that that's who and what I am. Okay. Okay. Well, I know Jay has a question for you. Okay. Yes, I yes I do have a question. So, when did you figure out that you wanted to play an instrument? Out of the womb, or when you were seven, or when did you figure out? You know. Okay, I think I can. Yeah, I the answer to that. I think I've always wanted to play an instrument, but my first awareness or, or really being cognizant of wanting to play an instrument was. When my father, one of the very few memories that I have of being with my father, um, we went to uh, the Watts Christmas Parade down in L.A., and my father had me on his shoulders, 
and I was, we were watching the marching bands go by, um, and I saw the you know the young people. Of course, they didn't look like young people to me. They looked like grown up or whatever. Because I was just a little bitty, and I had an orange crush, a bottle of orange crush in my hand, and I was watching the marching bands go by. And the thing, the instrument that stuck out to me, of course, I didn't know the name of it at the time, was the, when the clarinet section marched by. And they were long and black and sleek, and they just looked like the most beautiful thing in the world to me. And so when I started school in the first grade, um, I remember they used to take everybody into, the, into a band room or something, and you could look at all the instruments in their cases. And, and choose an instrument And I chose the clarinet So I would say around Four or five years old That's when I knew I wanted to play something hmm. That's interesting You know um, I have uh, Some of our um, Ambassadors Our uh, children ambassadors Actually play Have played clarinet um, The Ebo And the um, the violin, okay? And mm-hmm. one of the things, uh, or actually the flute, actually, one of our other um, uh, youth ambassadors plays the flute. I'd like to know when you came in, when you started coming in connection to realize you wanted to play the flute and you realized you had a gift with it. Because some people, and if you would share with our audience how that, how you connected with that, because many of our um, you know, people who are interested in playing instruments, okay, KJ, they, they're they not sure where to get started or where to go. Or even, you know, if they can go for training, they don't know where to start. And being that you're also a music educator, I feel, felt that you could actually, you know, kind of chime in and share with us how you got your start of getting connected with that instrument of the flute and how other youth or even older people, especially even older people, can get, you know, uh, up to speed on playing an instrument for the first time or following back up with an mm-hmm. instrument that they played as a, a young person. Can you give us some insight into that? Okay. Well, for me, I I grew up in a time when music was a part of education. It was, a, it was just a basic part of your public education. It, it wasn't everybody had to you know, at least try an instrument. It was, it was just a part of your education. Like you took math and history and reading and, you know, all of that. And so, when, like I said, I, I started playing instruments at five and getting, you know, a basic education in it. Uh, and But, you know, I see, at least here in America, that's not a fundamental part of the education system. So uh, you, you kind of have to work a little bit harder uh, with your kids to find uh, how how you can find out about learning how to play instruments. And um, but it is still possible. It's still very possible. Um, you know, if you want to play an instrument, whatever that instrument is, and like I'll say this: sometimes in the beginning, some kids don't know. You know, they they kind of get pushed into it by their parents. Or some kids don't know what they want to play. They just have some kind of a connection with music. And so you start with an instrument, and then you move. Maybe that instrument doesn't 
don't connect with that particular instrument. So you move to another instrument and to another instrument. For me, like I said, I started out on the clarinet. I played the clarinet until the third grade. grade, Then I started playing drums for a minute. And I played, I started on um, bass drum and moved up to the snare drum and the concert band. And then uh, in the sixth grade, we used to, at that time, you graduated from sixth grade and then you went to junior high school. And so I, um, I had already been kind of looking at the flute section, you know, while I was playing drums. But I was, I was looking at the flute section and saying, wow, those are really pretty. And, you know, it kind of felt like I was cheating on my drums, but I really kept looking over there. And then in junior high, when I was auditioning to be in the drum section in the junior high band, just wasn't good enough. Um, but I made a deal with the best teacher. I've been making deals with, with teachers and whatever, for essence, forever. And I made a deal with the band teacher that if I could learn to play the flute by the end of the semester and challenge their, his first chair flute player, uh, if I win that challenge, can I be in a band? And he said, yeah, because he didn't, he, he didn't believe that I would be able to do all that. So I went through beginning wins on flute, learned, but I had always, what he didn't know is that I had already played clarinet for three years, so I knew how to read music. I just needed to know the fingerings and how the armature worked on the flute. And once I got that going, then it was cool. And, um, you know, fortunately, I did win that, that challenge, and, and I stayed first chair at the, in the band for my whole three years of junior high school and then also in high school. But that's how it was for me. Interesting. Wow. I want to know the challenges, the challenges that you had as being a musician and, 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 and being a woman trying to be a musician, you know, because that's kind of a hard thing as being a little girl and you're trying to mm-hmm. be, you know, in a band with all these guys, and you, you know, you, <laughs> I want to know how hard was that? Okay. Can I get a clarity on that question? Are you talking about school or are you talking about professional? Just in general, in school too, because you know, if when you take the pigtails, they'll come, you know, want to pull your hair and stuff. You know, you know, we the guys. So I want to know, like, was it hard or was it was it easy being, a, you know, because you know most of, most of the saxophone players and the drummers are kind of guys. And, like Sheila E was telling me, it was kind of hard for her, you know, because. You know, she's playing the drums, and, you know, most of the drummers are dudes, you know. I just wanted to know, was that a challenge, and do you see the world, is it, is it a better world today for us in general? You don't have to be all, you know, exact, but just give us an overview, you know. Okay. Well, as a student, as a music student, um, I, I think because I played the flute, it wasn't really that much of a, I don't really remember any getting grief from the fellas. Uh, or the band teachers. Nobody was, they always got a lot of encouragement. And and I was very good um, early on. And so I think the only problem I had was I got a little bit too much ego going when I was a youngster. And I should have been a little bit more humble at that time. But um, the difficulties really began uh, when I started playing outside of school and began pursuing playing professionally. I, I, I think my first gig, I was 16, 15 or 16 years old, 
and I played with um, played a gig at uh, oh god, the Hungry Hunter or some you know really upscale restaurant in uh, Century City in Los Angeles, and uh, played the gig, and I, I because. I was, you know, the youngest person in the in the ensemble, but I could read really because I was the only person in the ensemble that read every day, read music every day, because that's you know we do in music school or in classes or whatever. And um, so I was reading, and even though the music wasn't very familiar to me, I could sight read really really well, and so I could just play it, see it, play and go, oh okay, this is what this sounds like. And so I started. That's when I first started playing charts and jazz charts. Um, just meant for ensemble, and in that experience, playing that gig and getting paid you know, a little money, whatever the money was that we got paid that time at that time, I this was really I dug it. I dug the audience, you know, the applause, the, the appreciation, that the applausement that the people were appreciating what you know what I was doing, but also the, the I liked the challenge of you know, playing with these older cats and uh, realizing that I'm right there with them, you know. Um, and in some cases, passing them and what I, my ability to sight read. And so that was cool. And then as time went on, and uh, I, I realized, okay, this is something that I really want to do professionally. Um, then the challenges really started coming about when I started getting approached to, to play more so professionally to be put out front um, early, I would say, you know, in the 80s, uh, there was the image thing, which is, is still not as prevalent, but still still kind of an issue. Um, they, the powers that be, whoever that magic they are, want you to look very feminine. And if, if you're a very feminine woman by nature, then that's not a problem. But if that's not who you really are, and you have a, you know who you really are, then that's a problem. That can be that can be very very problematic. Um, and then of course, being a woman in this industry is is already difficult because it is a man's industry. And of course, along come there are many issues that come along with that. I, I don't want to get too deep into that discussion. Um, but I think maintaining a strong sense of self. Mm-hmm. Is is essential, uh, and that's you know that's why I think some I'm gonna try to do the makeup thing and you know do the do the the, model, the supermodel look whatever. And I remember just looking at myself in the mirror, going, "Who is that?" I felt like I was in drag because that wasn't me. That wasn't me, and it's very hard to maintain this facade and perform you know five nights a week or six nights a week in. It, being something that you're not, it's hard to give your authentic self playing wise if you don't feel like you're authentic self. And so, I, I wanted to ask you, I wanted to ask you, so how about getting jobs? Did you get as many jobs as the guys? You know, do you, do you, like, do they call you? you know, is, it, no. is it something? Okay, that's what I want to <laughs> Okay. <laughs> that's a whole different twist. Well, you know, one is. You know, I had. I'll say this. I had to stop waiting for calls. I had to create. It, it became very clear to me. I had to, if I wanted to gig, if I wanted to work, I had to create my own opportunities to gig and work because they, they weren't going to call me. 
We we be hating now. <laughs> the fellas be hating. <laughs> you know what you was gonna say? The fellas be hating. Yeah. Every so often I get a call, but but I have to create my own. I have to find a way. And that's that's really what thrust me into the band leader. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, Interesting. Because the fellas just, you know, they might call here and there, but, you know, they don't like a pushy, they don't want a pushy sing or flautist, you know, whatever. They don't want that enough. You know, I, I play flute. I play flute exclusively. I'm a flautist. You, you, be, you be showing us up. That's why well, you know, don't play, you know. So that's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't want to give her no job. You might take well, you know, one of the things I what one of the things I'd like to know too, um, KJ. You know, listening to what you're saying and and having to, you know, because often as a woman, um, and I don't like to get down like you said. I want to go there because we could be on the phone forever. That's that's a subject I love to talk about, is the, the gender thing. But as as a woman, you know, who took the time to, you know, for herself when you when you were able to have the insight to see that they were not going to call you, you had to create your own. You know, it brings me to when I was in France in the last two years, and there was a woman on stage, she was a great DJ. I mean, I hadn't heard, seen, I, I know a lot of DJs, okay? And I know a couple of women DJs that are really on, on, on the money. And a lot of times, just like you said, KJ, they're called because of their beauty. I have one friend, she's been on the show before, Mary Malik. She's from Sudan. She's one of the top DJs in the world, but she's a model. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, they, they love that look, you know what I mean? But yes. as I have yes. a question for you as someone who is a flutist, as someone who is, you know, I see that you're a DJ and a I'm producer. A flautist, sorry. Forgive me. Um, you know, my pronunciation is <laughs> okay. not that good. Don't beat me up on that one, KJ. Um but no, as being a be, being a flautist and being a DJ as well, and and all the other hats you wear. But specifically, I want to get into that part about being a DJ and a producer as well, Kimberly. What uh, have you faced yeah. as a woman in this industry with those wearing those two hats? Not only just the other hats you wear, but wearing those two hats. Have you faced any, you know, just any adversarial, you know? feedback from not just men, but other women in general, just in general, being a woman, that you are multi-talented uh, in all those areas. What did they say when they saw that you were a DJ and a producer as well? Well, okay, that's a good question. Um, let me back up or preface the answer by saying the DJ thing came along in the last couple of years few years, not necessarily something that I was looking to do or really wanted to do. It just evolved out of finding, you know, gigs paying less and less and less, you know, the local gigs and stuff and and wanting to gig, but just not, the money just not being there to pay all the musicians that I needed um, to get the full sound that I, I want and need and, and love. And so I started while playing live over tracks to, um, you know, so that I could at least get some decent money from, from the gigs that I was doing. 
And thusly, it evolved. So I started playing, you know, during the breaks, I would play the records that people like to hear and dance to and party to. And so the thing, it really evolved into that kind of unique DJ thing. I'm not a DJ that, you know, does distraction and and all that, um, the DJ stuff. But I, I play records, and I play with people, especially, you know, folks in my age group, they, they love to hear the songs that they want to hear. And, and then I'll throw the flute in on top of that and, um, you know, turn it into a whole different kind of experience. But not a whole lot of DJs are musicians, you know, so they don't they don't really possess that, that skill to throw on top of what they're doing with the records. So that's still something that's in development. But being a producer, um, I've found, you know, I've, I've made, I've produced my first two albums, or first two CDs, and um, the first one was more jazz-oriented, Let Me Make Love to You, that's, that was the title of that one. second one was Urban Legend, moving a little closer to my funk thing that I'm really into. And I, I had to do a lot on, based on what I felt was the right thing to do. I didn't really have a mentor um, in the production realm. I just had folks that I admired how they did their their producing, but I didn't have anybody to really, you know, teach me. There was nobody that anybody that wanted to get involved with me from a producer level, they wanted to take over. They didn't, they didn't necessarily want to teach me anything. They just wanted to take over what I had going and then make it be their thing. Um, so interesting. I, you know, yeah. So I just I went with my instinct and and what I wanted to do and what I felt sounded good and um, you know, but I, like I've learned some things from Jay in the, just in the one uh, single that we we've done and you know I learned about he was teaching me about how to you know make well not yeah yeah kind of a Tommy. After the fact, I saw where when the song was mastered, and he helped me to see where you know this this is radio ready, and this is why, you know. And but right. I, I I never had anybody to you know to say that they just say let me right. take care of it, you know. And basically, you shut up and play the flute, and and I'll take care of everything else. But you know, and I, I just not a I'm not a good shut up and play the flute kind of girl. Well, I can get that. And, you know, one of the things, and and I I hear you, and one of the things I'm hearing, too, that's very powerful is that you also said that even before meeting Jay, there were some things that you learned on your own. I want to ask you something. Through those those two albums that you did, okay, what did you Mm -hmm. learn about yourself, what did you learn about yourself as a music artist, okay? as a musician, you know, because you brought that out of yourself. What did you learn about yourself that you would teach other younger people, you know, as an educator? What would you teach them to learn about themselves that you learned? Because one thing I'm hearing is trust yourself in what you're doing. Yeah. Even if you make mistakes, trust, trust your, yourself. Right. Trust your instinct. Yeah, trust your instinct. Listen to you. First of all, you got to listen to your instinct. You got to listen to that little voice inside of you that says, you know, do this or try that. Um, you know, something that I learned recently from a, a, a sister friend 
and she's a she's an on air personality and on the radio station here. This thing about this concept called the five second rule. And the five second rule is you get an idea and you have five seconds to act on bringing that idea to fruition, to reality. If you don't act on it in some kind of way in five seconds, that's when your your mind, <laughs> your your negative mind, starts telling you all the reasons why it won't work, all the reasons why you need to leave that alone. And if you don't overcome that, that idea stays an idea, and that's it. And then well, somewhere along the line, you're going to see somebody else did that. Somebody else will, somebody well, else will take because the ideas kind of float around in the in the universe. Well, that's absolutely. You know, um, that's and you know we could get in that we could get into that totally, uh, KJ. You know that all three of us can. But one of the things is is cognitive bias, and that's something we all have. We brush it to the side. When you have that idea and it comes to you, it is for you to utilize. You can get upset when you see it used down the road by someone else because that you didn't jump on it. But that, like I said, that we could definitely get into that on another thing. Um, I, I, Jay, I just want to sneak one more in here. One of the things I also want to ask you is, being, you know how the industry was when you started out, right, and where the industry is now. And everybody, you know, there are some good things to the bad things. One of hello? the things I – hello? One of the things that hello? I you, don't – Can you hear me? Yeah. Uh, okay. I, I can hear you now. So one of the things okay. in this, in the, from the time you started, KJ, and from the time where the, ind- the music industry is now, a lot of people have their complaints and so forth. On some ways, the industry is better, and on some ways, the industry is worse. What do you see that the industry needs now that it does not have? Mm. <laughs> um. <laughs> That's a good question, Joe. <laughs> That's a very good question. Uh, you know, the more I spent time with, with, with Jay, with Mr. Logan, who, you know, I had to say that we we started talking last year. I mean, we've kind of known of each other. I've worked with him, you know, getting a couple of opportunities to play on some other projects with the, the Lounge Renown family. Um, but we become friends, and he's like a brother from another mother now in my life. Um, and a lot, you know, it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, my first master's degree. When I walked across the stage, and I was, you know, they was putting my hood on me and they're saying, you know, you know, congratulations, da da da, with his master's in performance and literature. And the only thing that I remember. For real thinking, my my most prominent thought was, <laughs> I now know how much I don't know. I know how much I don't know about music. That's what that degree, and it's not so much the paper, it was the experience of acquiring the um, the education that put the little piece of paper, because the paper is just paper. You know, all of the things, all of the classes that I had to take, all of the experiences that I went through to acquire that paper that says I have this knowledge and I have this experience and yada, yada, yada. It let me know 
there's so much more that I don't know. And that's hmm. a, what I you hmm. know, learned a lot, like spending a lot of time with Jay. There's so much that I don't know. And I'm so grateful that I'm at this age, you know, I think in my 20s, I don't think Jay and I would be able to get along because I was an asshole. I mean, excuse me, I shouldn't say that. I was a, I was a jerk. <laughs> I didn't mean to say the other way. (laughs) You know, I was so egotistical. I just thought I knew everything. And nothing, you know, nobody could tell me anything. And now, you know, after living life and having life experiences and getting knocked around by life, I now am able and ready to say, wow, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, or, you know, I might know some things. I do know some things, and I'm confident in what I know, but I also am teachable. And so when you ask me, what do I see in the industry that's lacking, the one thing I can say is um, the appreciation for real music. Um, and real music being pushed in the industry, but I also know why that is. And it's not by accident, I don't believe. So that's what I think is lacking. I kind of get well, around funny you should to make say it. that, but yeah. No, no, I, get, I totally get it, and I'm going to, I know Jay's got to go next. So um, one thing I will tell you, one of the things I learned from when I worked with Gladys Knight and mentored by Barry White and a lot of other people in the industry, so Lucy and Grange and all those folks, all those names sound good. They all sound great. But it wasn't the name. It wasn't the, the name dropping of the names. It was learning from these people at an early age about the business of the industry. And one of the things I always found out: two things. Gladys used to always say that you don't have to wear your dress all the way up your rear end to be a lady in this industry and be proud of the talent and clear the talent. Not not of who you not of what you are have, but who you are. What I learned from Lucy and Grange is do what you need to do, and then the rest will follow. And those are two things I never forgot, and that (laughs) sounds like so easy, but those are two things that I keep every day with me, you know. Um, When somebody tells you you can't Mm -hmm. do something, don't prove that you can. You don't need to prove that you can. You just do what you do. The less said and the more that you move forward, the better off you are because there's nothing to prove. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, so you know, so those things I've learned early on, and um, I believe that without the artists, we have nothing. And that's why I asked you what you felt was in this industry from here on, because without the artists, we don't have anything. I mean, the producers are great, the songwriters, you know, but without the songwriter and the person who is playing that instrument and singing, we've got nothing. Even the producer doesn't have anything if they will use live uh, instruments, because <laughs> today they want to do something else. So, Jay, you got the floor. I know I took the floor a little bit, but I had to get in there a little no, bit with KJ. Like you were beating me up. You were beating me up there. I love to think before because you were talking about Barry White. And that with, why, and when you work with Barry White, and that reason why I want to talk about that, because, because you have invited me to summits before, Gail. I've been with you in a lot of conferences, and when you get there, you're extraordinary. But we had uh, an opportunity to go to a music summit the other night, 
and Barry White's name came up, and and the, and the lady there was wonderful, Sayida Garrett, and she they asked her who are the five most important people if you could have done a duet. You know, you did one with Michael Jackson, and so she's I'll just name a couple. She said Prince, and she said Barry White, and so when you said Barry White, she wished that she had done a duet with your mentor. You know, she wished that, and by you talking about where the music is gone, she had said something extraordinary. And, and KJ, you remember she said, um, don't let anyone tell you what your music should be about. Don't follow any, right. Don't follow none of the rules. If you're going to do trap, don't follow the radio. Don't give up on you. What you're trying to do, the, you know, the beautiful song that you wrote, Gail, I'm Never Alone, you're doing all the right things, doing it your way, how it's done. Because if she would have did anything any other way, she wouldn't have been the person she is. She probably would never even made it. She always just stuck by her her, her horses and rode her horses the way she wanted it. So I just wanted to okay. say that to and um and it it was a great summit, you know, so I just wanted to say that because Barry White's name came up. So <clears throat> KJ, I wanna ask you this. Now you um you went from clarinet to flute. Okay. So yeah. when did you when did you find out that every flute isn't the same? You know, like you know when you when you're in grade school, they give you this old dinky con flute. And it's okay, you know. <laughs> so, so when did you realize flutes are different? Because most people think they're all the same. <laughs> okay, um, I got to Okay, when you ask that, I have a story that comes from. Me. And and the the flutes we had were called were Bundy, and they were different. Talk about clunky, junky flute. <laughs> I, I, I didn't. I didn't know that there was that flutes were different until about. A, I think the next year, my band teacher had a little conference with my mom and said, "You know, we think. I think that you should get Kimberly private lessons. She could be. She's good, but she can be so much better with a private teacher." And. Um, my mom and my grandmother were very supportive, and and uh, so they all. He also said she needs her own flute, and his wife had a flute um, that she wasn't doing anymore, and so we bought that flute. I I don't know how much. I think you know maybe a hundred dollars or something, but it was a nicer flute than the ones that were at school. So. Um, so at that point, that's when I knew, okay, there's a difference between flutes. But then here's, here's, here's something that I learned. See, I'm telling you, when the arrogance began. And then I was, I, I was hanging out in high school. I was hanging out um, with my, my then, uh, young man, my little boyfriend or whatever, and his father was, is Donald Dean. Donald Dean evidently is a great jazz drummer down in L.A., and um, and so we're sitting, we're standing on the porch, and there's some other musicians also. There's some other cats, you know, some other guys. And I think his daughter, being his daughter, wanted to play the flute, and and asked me what kind of you know what kind of flute do I need? Or did she need a different flute or something like that? And I started talking about. It. At that point, I had a demine heart, and um, I was saying, oh, well, you know, it's absolutely and you know, imperative to have the best flute that you can get, the best kind of flute where you can get the best sound, and yada 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 yada, and 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 you know, Mr. Dean is like, what is what, what is this guy talking about? I'm trying to get my my daughter just a decent flute, and 
you gotta, you know, I'm talking about, yeah, you got, it's got to be $500 or more and, you know, blah, 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 on and on and on. Okay, so fast forward maybe about, no, I don't know, six, seven years and I was starting to hang out with the, the really hang out with the musicians and going to the after-hours spot where the jazz musicians were coming in when they were on the road, they would come to the after-hours spot down in L.A. And um, I met this guy to play the flute. I do not remember his name, but I remember that he had the same kind of sound and tone that uh, Hubert Lodge had. His, his articulation was impeccable. And when I talked to him, got close enough to talk to him, and I asked him, you know, I was just waiting for him to say, oh, I'm playing on a Powell or I'm playing on a Haynes or, you know, something like that. Um, I found dude was playing on an O'Clunky Bundy clothes instrument. And I looked at that and I looked at him and I'm like, this cannot be. <laughs> this is kind of like a, this just too, how can I say it? It was just too real. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm looking at this and going, it just messed up my whole philosophy about what kind of instrument you're supposed to be playing. And then I came to the natural conclusion that it is not the instrument, it is the musician. The musician makes the instrument come alive, not the other way around. Not the other way around. So you can have... Um, you can, you, I can take a Bundy flute and make it sound good. Of course, uh, it won't be the same as a, say, as a Haynes, you know, because they're designed differently. They're designed differently. But I can take any flute and breathe life into it and make it sound decent or, or even a little bit better because it's the musician that plays instrument, not the other way around. I hope that answers the question. Yeah, that, 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 it, it, it does. It does. It really does. Well, this um, we're running out of time, but one of the things I would okay. really love to ask you, um, KJ, is one of our last questions. What is your prediction for the direction this music industry will go in now that technically labels are kind of not there, uh, technically everything is being streamed, um, what are your thoughts on the direction the music industry will take? Wow. Okay, that's another. And and, another and we want question. your thoughts. I don't know. I don't know if I'm really qualified to answer that question, um, but I'll give it a try. Uh, yes, I will. We think you I are very qualified to answer that. I'm sorry. We think you're very qualified say, say to that answer again? that. We think okay. you are very qualified okay. to answer that. Okay. All right. All right. Well, I'll tell you where I, I'd like to see it go. Uh, okay. And I think it could go. I think I could. I think it can go in this direction because you know labels um, don't. They aren't as necessary as they were, uh, let's say, in the '80s and the '70s. Um, I think that we can now start to see more creativity in what's being produced musically. Um, I would love to see the uh, the ingenuity 
and free thinking, let's say, and back in back into jazz and R and B and and the merging. Uh, what we see a lot of now is a lot of um, just kind of taking the R and B song and redoing it uh, and calling it jazz. And that's to me what I see is we see we're hearing an R an instrumental version of R and B of R and B hits back in the day. Um, I would love to see us come get back to the innovative thinking and creating and recording um, of, say, like Stanley Clark and, you know, well, Herbie Hancock back in the day, um, uh, you know, Miles and, and all where there was a lot of uh, original composition and and the focus on, on original composition and the appreciation and the respect for original composition, not just you know what we. Another thing that we see in R and supposed R and B or pop music is taking snippet or samples of original of the of the original jam. They just take. They don't even bother to record. Um, you know the 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 section of a song like a soccer time song or whatever. They just snatch a piece of it and then come up with, they may even, and I'll say that they would take the same melody and just throw a couple of different words on top of it. They'll take the same melody of a song and put some different words on it and call it a new song. And unfortunately, because um, our populace has been, and I'll just say it honestly, dumbed down from the music perspective and, and also memories shortened, and the discouraging of studying history, and of course, okay, the revisionist version of history. We have people who don't even know that the song that they're listening to is just a rehashed version of something that came before. It's not even original. So what I'd love to see and I hope to see happen as a result of this opening up, um, opening up, up the door to being able to put music out is the resurgence of the individual, the individuality of of composers and, and man, I would love to see arrangers, real arrangers, come back into into vogue as far as our industry is concerned. People whose whose job solely is to arrange for strings, or another cat, you know, whose that's their job is they arrange horns. Another person. Their job, they arrange background vocals. They arrange, that's their thing. That's their job, to arrange. I would love to see that come back. So I, think, I, I hope, again, you know, that that answers the question that you ask. Yeah, that answers. That answers. I would love to see those arrangers to come back, too, because I used to have an arrangement job. <laughs> Okay. That's where the great Gene Page, you know, the one who did a lot of stuff for Barry and Charles Stephan, you know, uh, know, those arrangers, great, you know. Oh, no, but they're still there. Yeah, they're still there, though. They're still heavily there. Um, I just guess they have to, you know, uh, that's, oh, KJ, we have to have you back on because we have to get back in that conversation. You think you'll come back with us in a few weeks and talk about that? 
Yeah, we we'd love to have you back and and we definitely have you on with a few other artists from different parts of the world. We can really start jamming and getting into this. Well, just let me know when you want and I'm I'm down. Well, we're down to have you, so consider it in the next two to three weeks. We will have you back on. And, KJ, it has been a supreme pleasure to have you on uh, our show today, and we're glad you're, you're taking the invitation to come back, and we look forward. Thank you. Keep doing your thank thing. You. Thank you and for, when for you, having and, me. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And, you know, when your release comes out, we're going to be rocking that out, too, and playing it here and having you back on. So we hope that you can become the, the Listen Gives the Boyfriend, hopefully, over the next year. How's that sound? Sounds good to me. Yeah, I hear that. Mm-hmm. All right, everybody. Well, we had Kimberly Jackson, also known as Miss Hot KJ. So thank you Yay. for being with us today. <laughs> And we will have you back in a few weeks. And we're going to bring you out with Never Alone. Thank you, everyone. All right. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.